Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your word. And that it sheds light on every question we could ever ask. We thank you, Lord, for that. Give us wisdom. Open up our eyes and our ears and our heart and our mind to understand and to apply your word uh, to ourselves. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> we have, um, the questions keep coming in, and so thank you. Keep sending them in, all right? There was an email that went out last week um, with another link to it. Did you guys get it? Some of you did, some of you didn't. Don't you have some kind of email list or something? Yeah, well, you guys obviously send in questions too, okay? Anything. And if, yes. Right, softballs. Yeah, easy ones, yeah. Uh, ben will be teaching some. He wants the easy ones, so. Um, some of the questions that we have gotten are very personal and, and kind of specific, and those are hard to answer in this setting, but send them anyway, because then we get multiple questions kind of in the same vein, and we can kind of put them together and ask the, answer the question in a way that's more helpful to everybody, so don't, don't hesitate, just send, send questions. So... Today, I'm putting together a couple of questions that have come, and uh, as I kind of put them in the pot and let them simmer down, you kind of think, okay, what really is the question here, right? And a couple of questions have come that this is the, what it boils down to. How can I have assurance of salvation? All right. Hmm? I read your mind. That's great. So that's a good question. Right now, what what does that? Here are some other ways to ans to ask that question. All right, how can I have assurance about salvation? Well, how can I be confident that God has forgiven my sins through Christ's death and resurrection? My sins, not that Jesus saves people, not that God is good generally, but He's good to me. Right? Um, how can I know that God loves me? Not just that He loves people generally, or some people, or good people, or whatever, but he loves me. Um, how can I know that God's promise of salvation, God's promises of salvation apply to me? How can I know that God is good to me? How can I be sure that I am one of God's elect? For us reform types, that's how we talk. Okay, that's the question. Uh, that can look like all kinds of different things. How much... <sighs> and we'll get into this more in a minute, but how much fruit, what are the signs of being a Christian? How much, if, if it's fruit, good fruit, how much good fruit? Is there a line somewhere, you know? Um, how do I know that God actually is, has good intentions towards me as I go about my life and struggle with the sins and the, and the temptations and the hardships that I face? Okay, so those are the questions. So the first, as we break this down, uh, the first thing you have to think about is, well, is assurance of salvation even possible? If it's not possible, then you can't have it. Now, there are a lot of uh, people who say, no, it's not possible. 
All right, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that, that assurance of salvation in this life is, in fact, impossible. And not only impossible, it's wrong to want it. And if you say you have it, uh, you are just, you're, you're saying that as an excuse to do whatever you want to do without any um, attention to God's law, okay, to obedience. That, that's, that's how it's often thought of, especially in the Roman Catholic Church and traditions that go along with that. They would say assurance of salvation is not possible, and, and if it was possible, it would be detrimental to you spiritually, okay? So what does the Bible say? Is assurance of salvation possible? 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What's the answer to the question then? Yes. Yes. All right, we have an epistle, 1 John, that is written. Here's the purpose statement of of the whole, there, I'm pointing back there, but it's actually up here. This is the purpose statement. I've written this book to you, this letter, to you who are Christians, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what assurance is. All right? So we're going to see a lot of 1 John in a minute. But that's, that's the short answer. But let's keep going. There's more. Colossians 2. The Apostle Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth, look here, that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's kind of a long way of saying it, but that's another yes. It's what the Apostle Paul, in several places where he keeps hoping for, for the people in the churches, and praying for. You don't pray and hope for things that are impossible to have. All right? He talks here about he's longing for them to have all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding that results in a true, mis- a true knowledge, okay? This is true knowledge, full assurance of understanding, s- complete confidence. He says something similar in Ephesians, in a prayer, Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is not the kind of knowledge that's just theoretical. This is, he's not praying that we would know about the love of Christ, right, in a way that you could know about you know, Michelangelo or something, distant and far away and, and separated from you. 
that you would be able to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that Christ would dwell on your hearts through faith, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. This is all experiential, right? This is not theoretical. This is you knowing, not a doctrine, but a person, Christ and his love for you. Now, uh, we're a church that has a confession of faith, right? A Westminster Confession of Faith, written in the 1600s, and it is excellent. And there's a whole chapter in the Westminster Confession on, called, Of Assurance of Grace and Salvation. Of Assurance of Grace and Salvation. We ought to look at that, don't you think? Let's look what it says. This is the first uh, paragraph of that chapter. Look at what it says. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation, condition of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Now we're going to talk about that in a minute, that first part. There is such a thing as false assurance that hypocrites and other unregenerate people have who presume on the grace of God, but it's a false hope. So there are those kinds of people, okay? Put that over here. Yet, such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So that's another way of saying yes. Can you have assurance of salvation? Yes. Yes. There's such a thing as false assurance. Yes. But can you have true assurance? Yes, you can. All right. Look at this little heart of of that paragraph. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured. Certainly assured that they are in the state of grace. In other words, you're a Christian, you're saved. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith says assurance of salvation is is a possibility. Now, John Calvin, um, the reformer from the, 1600s, says it even more strongly than that. All right, look at, here's a few things that he says. This is from Calvin, from Calvin's Institutes. Now we shall possess a right definition of faith. So what is saving faith? What is faith? Well, here's what he says. Here's what a right definition of it is. If we call it faith, a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So that's his definition of faith. All right? It's not just wishful thinking. It's not, uh. It is, by definition, a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us. All right? A firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence kindness, tenderness, willingness to help us. 
But he goes on. A little later in that chapter, he says this. This is a longer quote, so keep, keep on with this. Here's what he says. Here indeed is the chief hinge on which faith turns, that we do not regard the promises of mercy that God offers as true only outside ourselves, but not at all in us. Now think about that statement. It's true faith doesn't just say, yes, I believe God is good in theory, right? I believe God is good to lots of people out there. I believe God is good and kind and, he, and his word is true and he makes promises and he keeps them to people out there, all right? We do not, here's what true, true faith does not regard the promises of mercy that God offers as true only outside ourselves, but not at all in us. Rather, here's what true faith does. True faith, rather that we make them ours, the promises of mercy, we make them ours by inwardly embracing them. Hence, at last is born that confidence which Paul elsewhere calls peace. Romans 5.1 is what he's quoting here. Uh, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. That is, a per, that is a confidence that you stand before God um, blameless, all right? Jude says at the end of Jude, the benediction at the end of Jude is now, I can't, I don't have to quote it. Um, talks about the God who is able to make you stand before his presence blameless with great joy, all right? That's the God we trust. And so we trust it not just in theory or not just in general, but for me. You trust it for you. You inwardly embrace. Now he keeps going. Now, it is an assurance that renders the conscience calm and peaceful before God's judgment. All right? Without it, the conscience must be harried. You know what harried means? Harried means um, running around crazy like with your hair on fire. You know what I'm saying? Ah! A, mother A mother trying to leave on vacation. Perfect definition of harried. <laughs> Has nothing to do with hair, of course. Um, all right. Without it, without this assurance, which he says is just true faith, uh, without it, the conscience must be harried, distressed by, di- by disturbed alarm, and almost torn to pieces. Unless perhaps forgetting God and self, it for the moment sleeps. In other words, sometimes, you know, if you have a harried conscience, you can, you can sleep, you can dull the conscience, you can forget about it, you can watch a movie, you can, you know, but that doesn't last very long. And truly for the moment, it doesn't last, for it does not long enjoy that miserable forgetfulness without the memory of divine judgment repeatedly coming back and very violently rending it. That means, means tearing it. All right, so there's a uh, true faith keeps you from that. 
Without it, the conscience must be harried by disturbed alarm. Briefly, now get a load of this. He alone is truly a believer who convinced by a firm conviction that God is a kindly and well-disposed father toward him, promises himself all things on the basis of God's generosity, who relying on the promises of divine benevolence toward him, lays hold on an undoubted expectation of salvation. Look what he says. He alone is truly a believer who That's a very strong statement. Keep reading. As the apostle points out in these words, quote, if we hold our confidence and glorying in hope firm even to the end, Hebrews 3, 7. Thus he considers that no one hopes well in the Lord except him who confidently glories in the inheritance of the heavenly kingdom. No man is a believer, I say, except him who, leaning upon the assurance of his salvation, confidently triumphs over the devil and death. As we are taught from that masterly summation of Paul, I have confessed that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God which embraces us in Christ Jesus. That's him quoting from Romans 8. All right, so what, what is he saying? He's saying that the definition of a Christian is someone who has assurance. Is that too strong? If you think that's too strong, remember this, right? Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is the, that's at the heart of the Bible's definition of faith. In other words, how can, you, how can you say you have faith if you don't actually believe it? That's kind of weird. Do you believe it or not? How can you say you have faith if you don't believe? Belief is the assurance of things hoped for. All the promises of God, all the things that we are to believe, faith grabs hold of them, and doubts them? Well, that don't make no sense. Right? Faith believes them. So, by definition, faith includes assurance. Now, here's what all of us are thinking. Now, does that mean that a true Christian always has this full, of, uh, full assurance? No! <laughs> right? Right? No, it doesn't mean that. I don't want to um, weaken you by telling you this, but, I'm, but I want to strengthen you. The, the question I'm asking and answering now is, is assurance possible? Answer, yes. If you're a Christian, you have the seed of this in you if you have faith, because that's what faith is. Our faith can be weak. Remember the statement from the Gospels, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We, every one of us can relate to that, right? We'll talk about that more in a second. 
how can I, here's another question that goes along with this. How can I have true assurance of my salvation? If, if it's something that can be had, yes, how can I have it? <clears throat> Let's go back to the Westminster Confession. The second paragraph of that chapter is very helpful. Here's what it says. This certainty, <clears throat> excuse me, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope. It's not like, well, chances are, yeah, maybe, I think, possibly, perhaps, sort of. But an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces under which these promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. Notice, right in here, there are three means that the Westminster Confession gives for how to have this assurance of salvation, how to strengthen it in you. Three things. It says, this is an infallible assurance of faith founded upon, number one, the divine truth of the promises of salvation. What does the Bible actually say? Number two, the inward evidence of those graces under which these promises are made. <clears throat> this is talking about fruit, obedience. <clears throat> and then third, the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now let's look at each one of these. The divine truth of the promises of salvation. Well, like what? What promises of salvation are you talking about? Well, they're all over the place. All over the Bible, right? But here's just a few. Jesus says in John 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up. What's he talking about here? The cross. So that whoever believes in him, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. What is that? It's a promise. It's just a very plain you know, flat-footed, straightforward promise. You believe, you'll have eternal life. For God so loved the world, here's the, the, the support for that promise, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He's not a stingy God. God sent his son out of his love to save the world. Do you hear him? He who believes in him is not judged. How about you write that on your, on your, on your refrigerator? some of you. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. These are flat-footed, straightforward, very simple and plain, little baby children can understand kind of promises. All right. So is this one. 
This is the, the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Promise, straightforward, plain. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we could go on and on and on and on and on with these kinds of promises. Straightforward promises. The divine truth of the promises of salvation. Do you believe this is the truth of God? I mean, if you don't, then of course you can't be saved because it's the one who believes these promises who is saved. So believe the promises, there they are. Secondly, the inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made. First John chapter two. By this we know that we have come to know him. That's the question of assurance, isn't it? How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you've come to know him? Well, here's how if we keep his commandments. The one who says, oh, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's the hypocrite that the confession was talking about, right? Who says it, but it's not true. It's not true because he has no intention of keeping God's commandments, has no remorse or repentance when he doesn't. He's a hypocrite. The one who says, I've come to know him, but does not keep his, his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Here's another one from 1 John. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. A true Christian, God gives the Holy Spirit and a new heart to everyone who's a Christian so that they will love his law. Keep his commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So this is a way, the point of 1 John, look at yourself. That's the point. I've written these things to you so that you will know. Well, how will I know? Well, look at yourself. Look at the promises, then look at yourself. Do you have the character of someone who has been, who belongs to God, the Holy One, the Righteous One? We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. You see, that's not natural. If you love the brethren, something's going on with you. Does that make sense? That's not natural. It's not natural to love people, period. I mean, really. He who does not love abides in death. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then James, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? No. Faith without works, he says, is dead. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So 
We look at the promises of God. Whoever believes on the Lord Jesus will be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. And then you look at yourself. Right? Is you claim to have faith, does that faith do anything? Or is it the dead faith that like a demon would have? That, you know, intellectual assent that says, oh yes, I acknowledge the truth of these things. That's not true faith. Right? And then lastly, the third thing, the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you know what it is to call out to God as your father? That's not natural either. You understand? Because we come into this world as enemies of God, not as sons and daughters of God, but as enemies of God. We, while we were enemies, right? We, are in, we come into the world as enemies of God. And if you find yourself calling out to him, Father, save me, that's the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians one twenty two, talking about God, he, the Father, he sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This is not something you can put on paper, right? This is in your heart. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's that again. 1 John three twenty four. the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And again, John, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, this is... How do you have assurance of salvation? What the confession says and what the Bible says is all of these things, not one of them, not two of them, but three of them, all three of them. You have the word of God where God has made promises to you and you and I are obligated and duty bound to, to believe the promises of God in the Bible, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. God has spoken with his authority and his truth. You're not allowed to not believe those, (laughs) okay? You must believe them. So believe them. He has also worked in you. If you're a Christian, you see the fruit. And if you don't see it, just sit down for five minutes and think about 10 years ago (laughs) or whatever. You know what I'm saying? In other words, get some distance and get some perspective on your life. And think about what you used to be. 
think about you, what you would be without the work of God in your life. We, always, we, we all tend to, do, to judge ourselves very harshly about some things and then give ourselves a complete pass on other things. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't give yourself, I'm not talking about giving yourself a pass. Judge yourself with righteous judgment, with sober judgment. That's what Paul says in, in Romans 12. And then, if you find yourself calling out to God as, as your father, the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay? These are the things that we look at, that we, that we all together, not one, not two, but all three together, and God gives us, by his mercy, assurance. Strengthens the assurance that we have. Now, let me keep going here. Is there such a thing as false assurance? Yeah. Again, the Westminster Confession, although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God. Titus, or the Apostle Paul talks to Titus about these kinds of men. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed, this is that the mark of a Christian, as John says over and over again, is obedience to God. Not your words, but what you do. All right? They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They're disobedient. Jesus says, Matthew 7, terrifying, really sobering, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are words. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Uh, if you say you love God but hate your brother, it, it doesn't matter what you say, right? Many will say to me on that day, and this is judgment day, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Well, that sounds like good works, doesn't it? But they were faithless. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are all uh, showy things, aren't they? prophesy, cast out demons, perform many miracles, but they didn't obey him. They didn't, they didn't love their neighbor. This is what a Christian does. Not these grand, spectacular signs, but just, just obeying God. That's the fruit of God's work in you. Okay, yeah, so you can have false assurance. Can a true Christian lose the assurance of his salvation? If so, how? Yes, he can. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. In other words, you can be a true Christian and not have this assurance. That's what the Westminster Confession says. Yes, I, I agree with that because Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And yet, 
it should be something that we, that would be, that would be the abnormal case, all right? It's possible, but it's not normal. What's normal is everything we've seen so far. Here's another statement. True believers may have this, uh, the assurance of their salvation divers ways shaken. Means shaken in all kinds of ways, right? Diminished and intermitted. That means kind of canceled for a little while. As by what? Well, by negligence in preserving of it. In other words, if you, this is something that you have to, 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 to preserve and work on. So if you neglect that, then yeah, you can lose that assurance or have it weakened. Or by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit. If you make a truce with sin, I'm not saying if you sin. I'm saying if you make a truce with sin. You understand the difference? We all sin. If you sin and say, yeah, yeah, what of it? You know? Who are you to judge? I'll do, what I, I, I'll do whatever I want to do. I like this sin. Okay? If that's you, you have no right to call yourself a Christian. You have no right to have assurance. You should be afraid. That's the force of, of all of these passages about obedience. So you can fall into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit. Or by some sudden vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. In other words, sometimes it just, this just happens. And he gives you some darkness for, his, for your good. Not always connected to sin. Then he says, yet, are they never so utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and, and conscience of duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. So it's one thing to, be, to have darkness, it's one thing to have a bad conscience, it's one thing to you know, be depressed. It's another thing to be in utter despair. And what, what scripture says is he doesn't allow his children to be in utter despair. You see this all the time in the Bible. You see this with, with David, right? King David in the Psalms. How many times in the Psalms does David say, where are you? You know, what's going on? I'm in despair. I don't think he even uses the word despair, but you know what I'm saying. I'm in, I'm in the depths. And then he says to himself, hope in the Lord, right? Hope in the Lord. Even the ability to say yourself, to yourself, hope in the Lord, guess what? That ain't natural, <laughs> right? So even when you're in, in the gloom, and you know the only place you can look is God. 
That's, that should give you great assurance that you want to look to God. That's, unregenerate people don't do that. All right? Now, we gotta be done quick. Ah, how can I help myself have assurance? <clears throat> Again, the Westminster, this infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before you be a partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation and the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. You don't need to be zapped with some special bolt of lightning from God to have this assurance. You, have, you use the things that God has given you. What has he given you? His word, the promises, look at your life, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, all right, And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance. What are the proper fruits of the assurance? Uh, all of this, joy, Love and thankfulness to God. Strength and cheerfulness in the duties of your obedience. That's what, that's what assurance gets you. We'll talk about that more in a second. So far is it from inclining men to looseness. In other words, what the Roman Catholics say is not true. It doesn't make you loose. You know what I'm saying? Willy-nilly with obedience. No, it doesn't. It actually strengthens you. We'll talk about that in just a second. Test yourselves to see you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. This is interesting. The default to the people he's writing to in Corinth is that, hey, Jesus Christ is in you. Don't you see that? Well, unless, unless he's not, <laughs> you know. But test yourself. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to skip over that. Look up 2 Peter 1. Hebrews 6, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. This is a duty that requires your diligence. This full assurance of hope so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Romans 8, not gonna read it. Um, you should read it at home. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If he started the work, he will, he will complete it. So strengthen your faith with that. Let me read um, a letter, a quote from a letter from Martin Luther, and then we'll have to be done. Um, July 1530, Martin Luther wrote a letter to a friend, <clears throat> Jerome Weller, and Weller was depressed, and he began to doubt the reality of his salvation, and he became overwhelmed with the fear and the prospect of hell. This is a... Um, this is a condition that Luther himself had all the time. 
All right? And so he knows what he's talking about when it comes to how to fight against it. Here's what he says. Here's what he writes to his friend. When the devil throws our sins up to us, you know, throws them up to us like on a screen, you know, look at this, look at this. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, anyone relate to that? You deserve death and look at your sin. You deserve death and hell. This is what he does. That's what, you know, Satan means, at, uh, adversary, uh, you know, the one who's accusing. All right? So this is what he does. When he does that, we ought to speak th- thus. I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? <laughs> Duh. Does this mean I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. No. Satan, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Thanks for reminding me. You know? For, does this mean I'm going to go to hell? No. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. You can throw in some nasty expletive if you want, but I'm not going to. <laughs> to Satan. Yes? That's, that right there is the difference where most of us are tempted to place our faith in our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. We've got to be done. Don't put faith in your faith. Maybe I'll talk about that. Um, Christ, Christ is your salvation, not the strength of your faith. All right? We do have to be done. I, I pray for all of us that we would do this work because it, it, it produces good fruit. It produces good fruit. Holiness comes from assurance. It doesn't come from doubt. You hear me? Some of us think that doubt spurs us on to holiness, and that simply is not true. That's not how it works. Doubt doesn't spur you on to holiness. Doubt cuts the legs from under you when you try to stand. All right? Well, we've got to be done. Let's pray. Father, please have mercy on us and give us this assurance and give us the full assurance of understanding. Give us the wealth of that and all the good fruit that comes from it. Help us to continue to do that work and fight that fight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.